Secrets from a Coach. Thrive and maximize your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson Stavely of Phenomenal Training. Debs. Law, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Oh, Law, I'm not all right. I've got it. I've got corona. Oh, darling. Oh, are you not feeling good? No, I'm not feeling good at all. So brain fog, questions in one ear, out the other. It's just a little bit of a mess. So, um, yeah, oh. so just taking it easy. Now's not the time to be running a critical thinking and decision-making course then for a leadership <laughs> team, is it? Definitely not. Definitely not. I would be given the wrong person to do that today. <laughs> oh, bless you. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, you've done all right this year, haven't you? And wallop, here we are, December 2021. Oh, my God, we're here. And you're not feeling great. And it seems like there's a lot of stuff kind of going on at the moment. So, actually, Debs... What perfect time to be focusing our attention on the subject that we thought would be fab for December. Yeah. Which is, seeing as this is the kind of the seasonal festive time and uh, traditionally this season is where we give thanks and we take stock of all that we've kind of got around us. And um, today's focus is going to be on the gift of happiness. So the December focus is all about the real gifts of life, the ones that cost nothing but are priceless in value. And so today's focus is going to be on happiness. Now, do I ask you at the moment, how happy are you feeling, Debs? (laughs) Well, actually, Law, I'm still very happy because I had some lovely flowers delivered from um, all of you lovely people. And um, people have just been so super, super kind and offering to help. And if I need anything, they're just, you know, throw my shopping up at the window at me so because they won't knock on my door with it but yeah so I am happy definitely because you have friends and people around you that care so that makes me happy oh so it's interesting isn't it because actually we don't need things to be perfect in order to be happy and actually there's almost like a uh, that almost prevents happiness doesn't it if you're kind of waiting for things to be perfect so uh, it's with great delight that we're going to hear and we're going to do it in a slightly different style in this episode aren't we we're going to kind of do it in snippets because yes. it's so fascinating and so wide reaching this topic of the gift of happiness what does it mean and how do we kind of have that happiness in our life so it's with great delight that we're going to hear um, snippets of your conversation with Karen Douglas and Karen is a very experienced business and leadership coach and she's been spending um, a large portion of her time at the moment studying on this concept of happiness and the different types of happiness and the link to well-being and resilience, which, of course, you know, whether she would have known it at the time is probably a really, really hot topic as we kind of clamber out through these unprecedented pandemic times, etc. So we're going to hear, first of all, um, Karen introducing what is happiness, what is this idea of different types of happiness, which is fascinating in itself, because actually, as you've just so beautifully described, things don't have to be perfect in order to be happy. Sometimes you can be in a right old mess, but have those moments of happiness. <laughs> so, um, yeah, really looking forward to hearing this, Debs. Definitely. Well, I hope you do. It was a good conversation, lots of food for thought, and um, she gave us lots of things to consider for sure. So, um, yeah, hope you enjoy it, Law. Hi, Karen. It's so lovely to um, talk to you about this fascinating topic that we're going to be discussing um, today, and in particular how it fits with our topic for the whole of December, which is about the gifts 
that we have. So I wanted to talk to you, if that's okay, in relation to happiness. And the question I have first off is, what does research tell us about happiness? Great. Well, um, the concepts of happiness, and I use happiness and well-being a bit interchangeably, but particularly the concepts of happiness, well-being, what constitutes living a good life, have um, really been debated since the times of the Greek philosophers. So Aristippus um, proposed that the goal in life was to experience pleasure, which is what we would term um, in kind of scientific terms as hedonia. Uh, whereas Aristotle was all rather snooty about that. He said pleasure-seeking was vulgar and that happiness could only be achieved through having things like meaning a purpose in life, um, uh, taking part in activities that enable self-actualization. So you remember Maslow talked about self-actualization. Things that enable mastery and growth. And, and that was termed as eudaimonia. So we had these two concepts of hedonia, which is more pleasure-seeking, and eudaimonia, which is to do with this more sense of purpose and meaning. And these early philosophers... Their debate has actually influenced debate amongst academics in psychology who have also looked at happiness from the two perspectives of hedonia and eudaimonia. And the research into happiness has particularly gathered momentum in the last 20 to 30 years because we've had the expansion of positive psychology as a discipline within psychology. Um, hedonia and eudaimonia are distinct states that affect our happiness or our well-being. And there's general acceptance now that whilst we can engage in activities that are considered hedonic or eudaimonic, engaging in both types of activities is actually likely to predict a greater well-being, a greater sense of happiness than I, um, you know, than either engaging one or the other. And in the research, the researchers tend to stand away from that term happiness because it means so many different things to others. So I apologise if I use that interchangeable with well-being. It's just that that word happiness can mean, you know, it's very broad, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think you're right when you talk um, and you hear people talking about what does happiness mean to you? Um, and I know certainly in your role as a coach and consultant and, you know, similar to myself, you know, people will say many different versions of that. And it's interesting you're saying that this goes back way, 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 way back, back, back. Yes. Um, so can you explain a little, mere, a little bit more about hedonia for us? So when we're talking about hedonia in this context, it's defined as the experience of pleasure, carefreeness or comfort and then that's accompanied by our results in positive emotions so individuals who are hedonically oriented tend to be characterized as being playful you know they have fun they let go they don't overthink they tend to be more in the moment and certainly hedonia is seen as a a more instantaneous sometimes shorter lasting contributor to um, positive well-being. There are a couple of researchers, particularly in the 80s and 90s, who saw huge, demonstrated huge benefits of, of the emotions, positive emotions associated with hedonia. So they found that when we experience these positive emotions, that um, we they found links with greater creativity, innovation, um, pro-social behaviour. So we're more likely to help other people um, and build relationships with other people when we experience positive emotions. Um, they saw that people were um, more able to problem solve um, when they were in this positive state and also were less likely to dwell on our negative experiences when we're in that positive emotion state. So uh, there's that real sense of value of positive emotions in, in their research. If that's what you're saying about hedonia, you mentioned eudaimonia. Now, I hadn't heard about this until a couple of weeks ago and I started to do some reading up about it. So obviously I know you know lots about it. So um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about what that is as well? 
Yeah, well, so all this research has been going on about hedonia and happiness, and there's you know a number of researchers started to look at um, the happiness of, of uh, nations. So you know, could we just look at the happiness of nations? Could we justify that in economic terms? Could we see changes? But there were a number of theorists who started saying, you know, this. The pleasure, the, the positive emotions, it's, it's not enough. It doesn't actually completely account for our happiness. Um, they just didn't feel it was the full story. And so they started to look at this concept of eudaimonia. It came, as we said, from the Greeks, and it's the Greek word you, meaning good or well, and daemon, which is connected to spirit or our true nature. So it's this kind of idea of doing well by being true to who we are. Some of the key activities that are considered to be eudaimonic and felt to contribute to our well-being are things like having meaning and purpose in life, experiencing positive relationships, having opportunities for achievement or mastery or experiencing personal growth. Um, and another area that's seen quite a lot of attention in the eudaimonic series is this idea of having the opportunity for authenticity. So I said the word daemon means true nature. And when we refer to being true to our daemon, it's that sense of this is who I'm meant to be or this is what I'm meant to do. It's that complete feeling of being authentic to who you are, what you believe in, um, you know, who you are when you're at your best. And it's accompanied by feelings of fulfillment, strength, purpose, you know, intrinsic motive. You don't need to be told to do your day, but you just can't help yourself doing it. You know, it's that intrinsic to you. Um, an example I had, I've done quite a bit of research with um, musicians and um, this lady, uh, an amateur musician, so she wasn't a professional musician and she'd gone through a, a divorce and she moved into her new property and didn't have a lot of furniture in her new property yet. And she said, the first thing I did, and she said, I know I shouldn't have done it. The first thing I did was went out and spent my money on a new keyboard because this was something that she'd neglected with when she was with her husband and bringing up her children and as soon as she got kind of moved into this new phase of being she realized that was a piece of her the words were I sensed I hadn't fully been me you know and that this her keyboards to her was so much part of her authenticity the fullness of who she was playing music that she that was the first thing she had to do once she kind of got into her new life so I think that's a really good illustration of how this sense of rightness and, and if you've ever experienced it you know I'm sure you'll understand that wonderful feeling of fulfillment and vitality and energy and joy you get when you're doing something you think this is just what I should be doing right now and that's probably the best way that I can explain eudaimonia yes wow and as you said how much of that is um I suppose it links into that question doesn't it around you know so what is the best type of happiness is it hedonia um or is it eudaimonia or is it both you know or vice versa what what in your um, opinion what do you what would you say and the research suggests that neither one is better than the other. Okay. Um, what the studies do suggest is that individuals who experience both hedonia and eudaimonia report a fuller life experience and a greater well-being than if they just have either one or the other. It's interesting, isn't it, Debs, how she talks about this idea of hedomonia which is that short-term satisfaction, mm -hmm. as opposed to the eudaimonia, which is that long-term satisfaction. Do you know what it reminded me of, actually? I heard a brilliant podcast interview. So uh, the interviewer was an old mate of mine, Mark Wilkinson, and he was interviewing Fatboy Slim. 
Mm-hmm. And Fat Boy Slim was talking about how back in the day he would be chasing that kind of hedonistic high. I don't know. Karen said there's a difference between hedonia and being hedonistic, but actually, as his life has evolved and his life has changed, he's looking for different things now and a bit more purpose. And he still goes out raving, but in a very clean way and in a kind of more eudaimonistic way. And it really got me thinking about that, about how sometimes there are moments in life where you almost need to catch up with yourself. Where am I at now? What makes me happy? And what does that mean in terms of that balance of short term and long term? Yeah, definitely. And I and I think that's what um you know she was talking about from there and and the fact that you know gratitude plays a big part in that as well, I think. So, you know, how do we um how do we show gratitude for what we've got and what we have and how do we make sure it's still linked with our purpose for being on this planet type thing and still getting yeah. the joy from it. So next we're going to hear what she's found from her kind of research around ways to boost happiness in the moment. Mm. So how do we get that sense of happiness um, today? So how do we tap into it right here in the moment? So what things can we do that will help us to experience that greater sense of happiness or flow? What, What would you, you know, what could we do? Well, I mean, there are studies that indicate that we can purposely engage in activities to promote greater happiness. And I think Mm -hmm. we've seen quite a lot of that actually over the last 18 months to two years. It's been discussed more this idea of what can we do because, of course, the pandemic's really tested many of us, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think already you've heard a number of ideas suggested, like, you know, I'm I'm sure many of us talked about and, and heard about and experienced firsthand that being able to get outdoors being in nature, that's been seen to be a, a significant contributor to people's happiness. And as I say, I think that's lost for a lot of people in the last 18 months when some of us were restricted from being outdoors. So there's definitely a lot of research that supports that. Um, and again, something else that's been quite common I've noticed in the last 18 months is people have been talking about gratitude, taking time to be grateful or taking time to express gratitude or keeping gratitude journals. So and that's something I think that we hear quite a lot about. Um, but there's lots of other things. So savouring is another thing we can do. So savouring is a kind of form of positive reminiscing. So what you do with savouring is you would remember an event at which you felt happy and you'd relive that event in your mind in as a graphic way as possible. And you might look at some of the photos you took at the time. I chat to somebody who was also at the event and so that you really rebuild that sense of what it was like to be there and the the sense of, you know, the positive emotions that you had while you were there. So that's another way of increasing your happiness, savouring, as I call it, positive reminiscing. Do you know what, Debs? I loved how she talked about this idea of savouring. I'd never heard that phrase before. No, I hadn't actually, and um, until she started talking about it. But when you think about, you know, what have there been the high points, if you like, through your last year, especially that you can savor and just be in the moment with, I think, and just go, yeah, that was amazing, and really live in the moment with it. So living in the now around that mo- those moments that you're savoring, that you'll have in your memory bank forever. And I think that's a real antidote to um, anyone who finds themselves dwelling on the past. So where maybe there are kind of past experiences that are weighing you down and dragging you backwards. I thought it was a brilliant counterpoint 
point to that in terms of that savouring. So it's not that you can't review back in the past, but almost to recall those successes wildly and proudly. And then I guess the next step then is, how can I get some of that for today? So if that was something that I savour, then how might I kind of experience that again? So that was a brand new concept to me, that idea of savouring. I like it. Yeah, it was a good one. I'd not, I say I've not really considered it that way and, and links into, you know, how we're in what we call when we're in flow as well that enables us to think about those moments and, and recreate that feeling. So you have to be really mindful and really, um, I suppose, experience it again as you're recalling it from your memory. It's like, yeah, how was I feeling? What was I thinking? You know, what was the emotion that sat behind it? So you can really connect with it on all your senses. Then that, that sort of um, embeds it even more in, in how you're feeling. Oh, yeah. So next, you had a chat with her about, well, how do we then boost happiness for that longer term satisfaction? And as I was listening to this, I was thinking, actually, what a great little sort of set of tips to think about how to set up well for the year ahead. So again, this is the festive time of year. It's where we take stock and we give thanks. And whilst we're doing that, it's then, okay, what does that then mean in terms of setting up for well for next year. So we're going to hear her share about her thoughts of ways to boost happiness for the longer term. Thinking also about some of the things that might be more eudaimonic in approach that um, that also could raise our happiness. So it's not just about the head on it, the shorter term, but thinking about some of these things. So sorts of things um, that spring to mind are setting yourself a goal. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be a lofty goal, but just setting yourself something to achieve. Ideally, this would be a, a goal that's intrinsically motivated. So it's something that's come from within you. It's something that is meaningful to you. It's You want to achieve it because it's inherently satisfying. It's meaningful for you, yes. as opposed to an extrinsic goal that somebody else is imposing on you. I would say that's another way of expanding your happiness. And, you know, to some extent that taps into the ideas of mastery and achievement mm. because you set yourself a goal and hopefully you're mastering something, you're achieving something. Yeah. Um, I think if you think about growth, again, another aspect of eudaimonia, learning a new skill yes. or, you know, picking up a skill that you've let lapse. You know, maybe some of us played musical instruments and we haven't played them for years. Pick them up again. That, again, can be a real sense of adding to your sense of well-being. Yes. And then I also come back to finding, in this idea of finding eudaimonia, what are the one or two things that make you feel most authentic? And I think one way, it can be quite difficult to tap into that. Mm. And I think one way that you can do that is think about yourself when you feel most energised and most alive. What are you doing then? Because the likelihood is you'll be doing something that taps into your sense of your authentic sense. Oh, Debs, you're in a daemon. I know. Who would have known we had an inner daemon, eh? I know. I mean, I know about the Damien from The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like the kind of the opposite to that, isn't it? You're in a daemon. I love it. And what did you take from that, Laura, as you were listening to it for yourself? Well, I was sort of thinking about it. For me, I I need to feel sort of like I'm ready for that treat. So it's that feeling of I'm I'm very good at taking downtime as long as I feel like I've earned it. So that daemon sort of aspect is, for me, it's almost, you know, have I kind of earned it? Is this kind of the, the time? I've always found it difficult to take a day off on Monday 
for example. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and, and I learned many years ago when I set up sort of being self-employed, um, there was just something about a Monday. I just found <laughs> it really tricky <laughs> to not think about work. Whereas Fridays, oh yeah, you know, I'm very good at yeah. sort of switching off. But that must be my inner Damon or my inner Damien that's sort of <laughs> stopping me from um, kind of sort of relaxing on that day. But yeah, that that Damon bit, that sort of true purpose. Um, I uh, I'm pretty good at switching off, but as long as I have felt like I've earned it, if that makes sense. So I think for next year, I'm, I'm thinking it's planning in more of those breaks in rather than sort of them happening in spare time, because there's never spare time, is there? So that's what kind of got me thinking about. But actually, what was um, rolling around in my mind after is, you remember the um, the famous Walter Mitchell experiment with the marshmallows? Oh my gosh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, tell us more about that one, Law. So that idea of the more you can delay your gratification, the bigger the buzz, basically, when you then kind of the bigger the reward. So this idea of um, kids were asked, um, uh, can you basically, could that child sit in a room, four or five-year-olds, could that child sit in a room for two minutes staring at a marshmallow? (laughs) And the experimenter saying, um, you're going to be here for two minutes, I'll come back in, and if you haven't eaten that marshmallow, and, you know, to see check you haven't eaten the marshmallow, and you've just got this one wonderful footage of these kids trying to like not eat the marshmallow and smelling it and kind of you know moving it around etc and then when the experimenter comes back in those kids that have been able to have that resilience to delay the impulse of wanting to have that short-term gain actually get rewarded with double marshmallows and the idea behind it was show me the kid that is able to withstand and um, be able to deal with that impulse control as a six-year-old and we'll show you the adult way down the line who has healthier life, who's more resilient because they're able to practice that ability to um, delay gratification. And so that was what was going in my mind as well with that kind of um, short-term versus long-term happiness. Sometimes you have to suffer short-term pain but it's for the long-term win, whether that's growing a business, whether that is um, rearing a family, whether that is educating, whether that is having a career change, all of those things that aren't easy or particularly um, satisfying in the short term, but it's for that long-term win that actually can be the stuff that cheers you up on the tougher days. Yeah, and I think that's that investing back in you as well, knowing and having that realistic approach, I think, as well, that says that I'm not necessarily going to build a million pound business over, you know, a two weeks. It's not, that's unreasonable to do that. So why put the pressure on yourself? But if you've done the work before that, you know, what's the purpose of me doing this? What sits behind it? What are my values that enable me to do the job that I love to do? Then little by little by little, then those incremental gains that you're doing. And before you know it, you know, you've got a really success full business on your hands or you know you're getting people coming to you because they've heard of you but that takes time like everything else you know time is such a, a another good thing that we try and fritter away and don't and don't maybe pay as much attention to as we should that uh, and realis- realism comes into it as well which is then the resilience to take a knock and then come back again better than you did before because you're learning from it so it's like the learning journey right where as you say you know every day's a school day as you always tell us yeah, yeah. Just uh, be nice to know at what point the lessons stop, Dennis, and you become an expert in something, and then suddenly the world changes again. Yeah, exactly. And you realise, well, actually, change is like an escalator, in it? It's not, it's not stairs that you then get to the top and then that's it. It's ongoing, and sometimes yeah. you've got to hold on to the railings a bit yeah. tighter than other yeah. times. Um, yeah. With, with that concept of time, I think certainly, um, uh, I mean, little phrases can, can be, for me, life-changing in that moment. It allows you to completely change your mindset around something. 
And I think uh, for anyone here that is currently kind of battling through some goals that they set and maybe they're getting further and further away from it, how to sort of retain that sense of happiness because you know you're still aiming for that for sort of long-term satisfaction is that sometimes the goals are set in stone but the timings are set in sand. And who could have predicted we were going to have global widespread disruption in the form of a pandemic and even just kind of being able to carve out 30 minutes and listen to something like this shows that you're winning at life, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to be able to actually invest in some time in yourself, Um, which leads us nicely onto our final bit where we're going to hear from Karen talking about her advice for what might be a couple of things that we can transfer from this idea of happiness and the different types of happiness, short-term versus long-term, and what that means in terms of how we can bring that to life in the world of work. ask you sort of one final question if that's all right if you could share one to two things with our listeners today that you feel would support their happiness what would that be just find out something that you can engage in that makes you feel really authentic that makes you feel most like this is what i'm meant to be doing right now and it might be something outside of work it might be something you do at work and then having found it you know make sure you get give yourself the gift of some time you know we've all got busy lives But just give yourself some time to engage in it, even if it's just half an hour a week to engage in what it is that makes you feel really authentic, because I feel sure that in doing that, you'll give yourself the gift of happiness. Oh my God, I love that. And that's such a good call to action for our listeners as well is, you know, find that space in your day to to do, as you said, to do something you love. You know, as you also said, you know, when we watch children play, they're completely immersed in that experience. So if we could just find that time and to do that one thing, then apps, why would we not? It's a bit like that, isn't it? We're, um, yeah, be, be um, happy on all sorts of different levels if you've explained today, Karen, which is amazing. So, um, so I'd want want to say massive thank you um for your time today um there's so much i'm I'm sure that you know we can explore and find out and about a little bit more so you know if people do want to find out a little bit more about you know you and and what you do in order to find that balance as you said yeah how can people find you or reach out to you karen um, the best thing would be to look for me on LinkedIn. I've got a profile on LinkedIn. And my spelling of my name is Karan, K-A-R-A-N. So Karan yes. Douglas, if you look for me on LinkedIn, my email address is karan.yellowtailassociates at outlook.com. But uh, by all means, LinkedIn is probably the best place. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. And I really appreciate your time today. And um, yeah, looking forward to finding out some more. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Ah, oh, Debs, it was so fascinating to hear from Karen, wasn't it? Especially it was. kind of from her actually studying this topic. Because like happened, you know, it's hard to define, but you know it when you feel it. And I think to then be able to have some of those description things just means that we can um, plan in time to be happy as opposed to sort of trying to be happy, you know. So as always, Debs, what is your call to action? Secrets from a Coach is all about converting kind of brain fog ideas into, right, tangible action. So what's your call to action for this week? 
So my call to action for this week is to um, look back on this week and look at the high points. So consciously sit down nice and quiet and just go back over the past week and go, yeah, what are those moments that have made me feel happy, that have made me smile, that have brought me joy, that I'm going to savour? Um, and literally just make a note of them. Drop them down into what I always used to call a smile file. So if you're having a bit of a down day, you can just you know flip back through what you've written or captured and it just lifts your spirit. So that would be my call to action. Oh, I love it, Devs. Well, my share of the secret would be riffing on that smile theme. The power of a human smile. If anyone's ever seen an animal smile, it looks like a grimace. Have you ever seen a robot smile? No, nor have we. That human smile is innately human and it's the quickest way to cheer up the environment around you. I remember doing an experiment once in one of the airport terminals where we had a team going around smiling at people and it just lifted the yeah, environment. It I mean, it just yeah. it just really did. So my share of the secret would be put a great big smile on your face. Make sure you blink so you don't look robotic. And when someone says to you, God, you're looking happy, you can say, well, tell you what, I've been listening to this fantastic podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. We can then lead us to the end of this year feeling a little bit brighter and a little bit lighter and looking forward to the times ahead. So, Debs, look after yourself. Love you lots. I'll see you next week. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email on secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Insta at secretsfromacoach.com.